Alright. Mark chapter 2 is where you need to go if you've got your Bible. How good is it to be in the Gospels? Well, I'm, I'm feeling good fire about being in the Gospels this morning. Hopefully, by the end of it, you will be too. Mark 2, chapter 1, through to verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, through until verse 12. It says this When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So, many people gathered around that there was, so many people gathered around, there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts. Why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up, take your mat, and walk so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Part of what makes the good news of Jesus so good is that there is no authority above Jesus. There is no one who can say to God, I've got authority over you, therefore do what I tell you. Right? In this text, as we see a lot in all of the Gospels, but particularly in Mark, Mark makes a strong emphasis on the authority of Jesus. And the power that ensues as a result of that authority. And that's where we're going to focus our attention this morning. So we pick up the continuation of our journey through the Gospel of Mark that Paul started for us last week. And I want to start just back a little bit in chapter 1. Because in chapter 1, what we see towards sort of the back half of it is a range of miraculous events. We see a man with... An unclean spirit healed in Mark 1.23, healed by Jesus. We see Jesus healing Simon's mother-in-law in Mark 1.30-31. We also read in Mark 1.32-34 that many people were brought to Jesus who were sick and demon-possessed and they were healed. And then in the last section of chapter 1, we read about Jesus cleansing or healing a man with leprosy. <coughs> Throughout these various miraculous events, there is a certain pattern that emerges. Someone is brought to Jesus, or there's an issue that's presented. Jesus engages with the person, and then Jesus heals the person. That's the general and simple flow of it. So when we get to this particular 
text looking at the healing of a paralytic man, we should expect that same pattern to be there. So, what we hear at the beginning is that the paralytic man, after a lot of effort by his four friends, brings himself before Jesus. Jesus then engages with the paralytic man. And then what does he say? Stand up, take your mat and get out of here? Not quite. The pattern is broken. And because the pattern's broken, Mark is trying to make a very specific point to all those that are reading it. Because what does Jesus say? He said, son, your sins are forgiven. It's like that's just a complete and utter digression from the pattern that emerged in the last four uh, healing and miracle uh, events that Mark has recorded. <coughs> it's around this particular point where the scribes enter the scene. I'll let you, in your spare time, do a little bit of research as to who the scribes were and, and whatnot. But the scribes point out, why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So therefore, what's going on is... Jesus' pronouncement in this narrative is a declaration of his identity as God incarnate. Because only God can forgive sins. Jesus is saying to the paralytic man, your sins are forgiven. One and one equals two there, right? Jesus is saying, I'm God. And I have the authority to forgive sins. I have the right to be able to do that. And to hammer home the point, later in this particular text, Jesus says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has what? Has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then pronounces the healing to the paralytic man. So this text is primarily about the authority of Jesus Christ. That's the point that Mark is hammering home. Now, the authority of Jesus in this text is put into direct challenge and contrast with the scribes. The scribes had a certain authority within Jewish culture, given that they loved keeping the law, they, they transcribed it, they interpreted it, they commented on it, they even prepared legal documents uh, in accord with how to live the law. The challenge of Jesus to the scribes throughout the whole Gospel of Mark is to bring conviction that their love for the law has caused them to forget what the spirit of the law is all about. Their love for the law has caused them to forget what the spirit of the law is all about. We read further on in, in Mark, Jesus picking up on this point. In Mark 12, 38 to 40, we read, as he taught, as Jesus taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses, and for the sake of appearance, say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So the law was always designed to be a means by which the covenant relationship between Israel and God could flourish. Now it had become a construct in which the authority and power of the scribes could flourish. 
They were using the law for their own benefit and they had lost what was at the very heart of it. And Jesus provided a direct challenge to this, especially in the way that he taught. Now, the scribes taught, they taught the law, and they would have spent a great deal of focus on the outward appearance and the demands of keeping the law. It was fundamentally about doing rather than being, as far as the scribes' teaching was concerned. Yet Jesus' concern is the same as that echoed in the Old Testament, where we read, For the law does not see as mortals see, they look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on what? The heart. It's not the outward. It's what's going on in here. And even this morning as we gather here, it's what's going on in here for you that God is most concerned about. He wasn't perhaps completely enamored about what clothes you wore this morning, even though you all look fantastic. But what's going on in here matters most to God. Now, part of the astonishment at Jesus' teaching in, in Mark 1, 21, uh, we read that, uh, or 22, they were astounded at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. You know, when you listen to someone teaching or preaching, and you can just tell their words, the substance of their words is filled with an absolute conviction and belief in what they're saying. It's almost like they own those words. They have a right to speak them because they're words that they 100% believe in. I can imagine Jesus preaching like that, can't you? He owned those words. He was the word. Can't get any deeper and more profound than that. So it's not completely abstract or obtuse that Jesus addressed the paralytic man with your sins are forgiven for the outward and the inner aspects of the man's life were Jesus' concern. It wasn't just the healing of his physical condition, but also the healing and the making whole of what was going on internally for him. Now, I want to just quickly uh, digress and have a look at the way in which authority and, uh, and power works. Because we read here that Jesus has the authority as God, but we also then need to understand how does power fit with that. Now, each year, Forbes magazine, have you heard of Forbes magazine? Right, Forbes magazine puts out a list of the world's most powerful people using a certain criteria. The top three for 2019 are, who's at number three, do you reckon? Elon Musk. He's, in, he's there or thereabouts, but not quite. Donald Trump, that old chestnut. Number two, the Vlad, Vladimir Putin. Who do you reckon is number one? Who's left? Xi Jinping. Who's it there? The guy from Amazon. Oh, he's number five. <laughs> Jeff. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Xi Jinping. Uh, topping the list from China. Now, one of the things that's obvious about the authority that those three have, and others who are considered the, the most powerful people on the planet, relates to the position that they occupy. The role or position that people in those particular uh, roles occupy carry certain rights which the person filling that role then assumes. Okay, Before being president, Donald Trump didn't have the same kind of authority in the landscape of America as what he does now. 
scary or otherwise, okay, I'll leave that to your interpretation. But each of these people are considered the world's most powerful primarily because of what the role gives them the right to do. You don't have to be a world leader, however, to have power and authority, do you? Furthermore, just because you are a world leader doesn't mean that everyone will simply fall in line and submit to your authority. Now, let me give you a, a different example of authority that's exercised in my household. And it relates to my teenagers and their mobile phones. There's a beautiful thing... Uh, my phone's over there. There's a beautiful thing these days with iPhones called screen time. People are nodding. I love screen time. Because it normally gets the response when I turn on screen time, my girls, at least one or both of them, will come out. What gives you the right to turn my phone off so that I can't use it, Dad? Come on. So unfair. And my response is very simple. I just dial up NetBank, go to the payments for the phone <laughs> each month, and go, it's kind of here, right there. <laughs> Not always met with the gentle willingness to just acquiesce to my sense of exercising authority and power in my household. But they are they're great girls, so I don't want to misrepresent them too much. But it's an example of how in a household, a parent, because of the fact that they are the parent, has a certain degree of authority. And when they exercise authority, they are demonstrating power, they are demonstrating influence because of the position that they have. Now, essentially, the scribes were saying to Jesus, what right do you have to forgive sins? Authority gives people the right to act in certain ways, the right to speak in certain contexts, make decisions, develop new initiatives, stop old projects, and take certain actions that's commensurate with the scope that the authority affords. And when people exercise their authority, they demonstrate their power to influence others. Jesus' authority to forgive reflects the right that Jesus has to declare people righteous in relationship with God. Jesus has the right to do that because Jesus has the authority to do that. No one else has the authority to do that. That's what makes the good news of Jesus Christ so good because we don't have to run around trying to work out how do we be right with God if we're facing an existential crisis or something like that. God has revealed the truth through the authority of Christ, as to what righteousness with God looks like. How do we have a right relationship with God? It's because Jesus has the right to declare us righteous. What the law, which was so precious to the scribes, did, Jesus was now doing in the fullness of declaring people one with God. And you know, the authority and, and power of Jesus still obviously works today in ways that, in many ways, I think, that are miraculous. Quite often that can be in outward ways, but most often in inner ways. Jesus has the right to forgive our sins. When Jesus, is, when Jesus exercises this authority the power of God flows forth in righteousness. That I, that you, 
could be made right with God after all I or we have done and continue to do to hurt, to disappoint, to reject and blame God is a miracle. Jesus chooses to forgive. He chooses to forgive because he has the right to do that. He's not obligated, but he has the right to do that. And the miracle comes when we, when we have a deep revelation in our life that we are forgiven. We can hear that so many times that it becomes a little bit trite. Or we can think, well, it's just God's job to forgive. It's not. It's his choice to forgive. Jesus has the right to resurrect and restore our lives. He has the authority to do that. And when this authority is exercised, we can experience the power of God making us whole. In this narrative today, we see the forgiveness of Jesus, but we also see the wholeness that comes through the healing of the paralytic man. Where is the power of God at work in your life? You know, there are some things that can cause an internal paralysis for us. Those things that you and I feel like we will never be able to get past or never overcome. They might be habits, they might be behaviours, they might be thought processes, whatever it is, they can cause us to simply resign to living with them as if we will never be able to get past that particular aspect of who we are. You know, I read a report this morning saying that the unhappiest group within Australian society today, 2019, are fathers with two kids who work full-time. I don't think I've ever heard a statistic like that. But there are thousands of, of dads running around deeply, deeply unhappy, feeling as though they are completely and utterly stuck in the life that they lead. Where is the hope in the midst of their despair? Where does that come from? What is going to help break men in that situation out of that particular place in their life. The good news of the gospel is that it is in and through Jesus Christ. The power of God to resurrect lives where unhappiness is turned to joy, where despair is turned to hope, comes from the authority that Jesus has to do this work in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. The truth is that it is time for all of us and any of us in the life of the church to start saying that I don't have to just tolerate that aspect of my life that I think I can't get past and embrace the fact that in and under and through the authority of God, we can overcome things because God has the right to exercise that kind of power in our lives. Jesus has the capacity to be able to say to us, to those internal things that paralyze us. Get up. Take your mat. It's time to walk on from this. Jesus has the right to resurrect lives. Jesus has the right to forgive sins. Jesus also has the right to redeem relationships. <coughs> when this authority is exercised, the power of God works in and through relationships that seem stuck or beyond repair. In my life, 
as I was preparing this, I was thinking about two relationships in particular that are just stuck. They're not getting any worse because I'm not sure if they can get much worse, but they're definitely not getting any better. And I know that both my head and heart have checked out of those relationships. I don't know if you can relate to that at all. But I also know that because of the authority that God has in my life, He has the authority to be able to say, you know what? It's not okay to stay in that spot. These relationships need to be redeemed and restored. What do you do with that? There is a point where we can simply go, God, okay, if that's what you want to do, um, I, 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 will, I will try and just simply let you do what you need to do. And you make the impossible possible. And I'll be prepared to take some steps and sacrifice and submit to what it is that you are up to. But in no way, shape or form is that easy. In the midst of my inability, all I can do is pray that God would powerfully redeem the relationships in spite of the barrier that or barriers that I create. So to be claimed by Christ and to live in the power of God brings an unmatched depth, adventure and fullness to life. Only Christ has the authority and right to redeem relationships, resurrect lives and declare us righteous in relationship with God. And the miracle comes when we experience this. Not just know about it, but experience it deep within our very being. But let me finish with this. Any leader exercising any kind of authority will speak of the cost that comes with this responsibility. The greater the responsibility... And the greater the authority, the greater the cost. The authority of Jesus to forgive sins, to declare us righteous, to resurrect our lives and redeem relationships, came at the ultimate cost. In Mark 10.45, we read Jesus saying, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. <coughs> what cost then for us to enter into the fullness of God's life through Christ? What cost for us? It's firstly about our heart. It's not about how much we know. It's about our heart and the inclination of our life towards God. On your seats, or I gave you a copy. This is a powerful articulation of what it looks like, sounds like, to give over authority in our life to Jesus. If you've never come across Wesley's Covenant Prayer before, you have now. This is the contemporary version because the ye olde version is a bit uh, of a mouthful. But I want to invite you at this point in time to consider the words on that page. Now you might want to take it away and dig into it a bit deeper at another time. But these words assist our heart 
our life to be inclined towards God in a way where we are expressing a deep desire for the authority of God to be in and through and over our life. So I want to invite you just to take a moment to sit with this prayer. And if you want to, you might like to pray it quietly where you are. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we sit with these words, we give you thanks and praise for the way in which you exercise your authority, influencing and shaping and molding our lives with your power. We ask that you would continue to be at work in us. Remind us, Lord, that we are forgiven. Remind us, Lord, of the power and the capacity that you have to resurrect every part of our life. And we praise you for that day when our lives will be fully redeemed, restored and resurrected when you come again. And Lord, for those relationships that we might be struggling with, that seem stuck, may you be at work redeeming those relationships, working in and through us. Lord, help us today to be able to go from this place knowing afresh the grace and love of your power and authority in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.